You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, peace be upon you and welcome to the Drive Time Show here at Voice of Islam Radio. Today you're listening to myself, Fahim, and I'm joined today with my good friend and colleague, Sfir, who regular listeners will know is no stranger to the show. Today we're discussing two very timely topics. With the first hour, we'll be discussing road safety and in the second, we'll be discussing Jalsa Salana. Whether you're listening to us uh, live on DAB, online or via the app, you can contact us on 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So don't be afraid to get involved in the conversation. So I'm here with uh, Safir. How are you doing today? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Thank you very much. I'm doing fine. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Enjoying this hot weather. Um, and, and, you know, looking forward to getting involved into these uh, really timely topics. Um, you know, we have road road safety, something that, you know, with this, this heat going on, uh, I think road rage is a, is a bit more out there. So I think we, we mm. need to make sure that um, we're safe on the road, right? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's uh, also, you know, the holiday period. So a lot of people are out on the road, um, you know, maybe going up and down the country, visiting family, um, you know, going on vacation uh, within the country or, um, you know, uh, even uh, uh, outside country. So we, we have seen, I mean, especially because obviously I, I live in I live in Kent and, you know, we've had uh, a lot of traffic and, um, you know, uh, roadblocks. Um, around uh, Folkestone and Dover, you know, where people have been traveling, trying to get to Europe. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a, it's a lot of traffic on the road. Um, just I think a couple of days ago, I was uh, you know driving down to Hampshire, where we are going to have our annual convention um, starting tomorrow. Um, yeah, so a couple of days ago, I was I was driving down here, and then it took me about three hours. Wow. Whereas it normally takes about an hour and forty minutes from from Kent. You could have gotten any to so, Manchester in three hours. Yeah, right? yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, three hours gone like that." But uh, but yeah, there was uh, there was uh, you know some some accidents and uh, issues uh, you know causing a lot of traffic. So yeah, road safety is, is a very very important topic and something that is relevant. I think every day because people travel every day, right? Definitely. And, and, you know, I, I say it's timely because, you know, quite, um, quite surprisingly, I, 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 you know, you, the immediate thought of, of risk and danger on the road is, is you think of winter, right? You think of the ice, mm. you think of um, colder conditions, cracks in the road, etc. But actually, it's, it's August that has the most fatalities on UK roads than any other month of the year. So I, I was really surprised to know that. I was just, it was, it was, uh, so maybe we've, we've taught our listeners something today because uh, I definitely learned something. 
Um, and, you know, Road Peace, the road traffic accident uh, charity, has actually labeled August as National Road Victims Month. So mm. it's definitely something that, um, you know, especially people who are probably listening in their cars right now, uh, make yeah. sure that you're safe on the roads. This is a very, um, you know, uh, popular month uh, for for um, uh, a risky situation when it comes to accidents and road safety. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a bit surprising, obviously, because as you said, people might think that winter is the time, or especially when it's uh, raining a lot, or or any other month than August. But August, obviously. Um, is the month where there are more incidents than any other month during the year. So it shows us that there there could be many different reasons, and we'll come to that as well. But the um, the the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents in the UK uh, says that the main causes, um, obviously, of the accidents uh, generally are human error, um, and they can also be environmental problems and mechanical faults. Um, mm. But human error is stated to be one of the top reasons, and that is uh, particularly what has caused uh, most damage, and often by by drivers themselves because of their lack of uh, you know um, reactions or, or, or judgment uh, that leads to to uh, to accidents in general. So I think that shows us, Fahim, that uh, you know whatever month it is or whatever you know the of the traffic is, we as individuals have to be extra, um, you know, very uh, yeah. and also yeah, vigilant exactly uh, when we are driving and that, you know, that every day and, you know, sometimes you're tired, sometimes you might, you know, be doing a long shift at work, but it's so important not to risk it because, uh, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen and it's probably better to take a nap, it's probably better to be refreshed rather than, you know, go go on the road when you're not in the best, uh, you know, um, uh, condition. Definitely. I have, I, have, I have a quick question and then a follow-up to separate questions. So w- w- is there a verse in the Quran that kind of, uh, you know, gives us some context here? Um, I think it's in chapter two, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think very good um, that we're coming to that because we, we always, uh, when we talk about any topic, you know, because of Voice of Islam, we want to to let our listeners know that, you know, any issues, anything that we discuss, we always can find guidance uh, from the Islamic religion, especially because the Holy Quran and the religion of Islam is from Allah the Almighty and the Holy Quran is the Word of God. There's always guidance there for us to help us deal with the issues that we face on a daily basis. So, you know, when it comes to road safety, when it comes to um, keeping ourselves safe as well as our people around us, our brothers and sisters, keeping them safe. Um, there is so much guidance that we find in the Holy Quran. Obviously, one of the main things, obviously, in all religious teachings is the universal teaching that, you know, wish for yourself as you wish for, uh, you know, wish, wish for others as you wish for yourself. So if you want to, you know, be safe yourself, then that is something exactly, exactly something that you should wish for others. So don't put other people in danger because you yourself don't want to be, um, you know, in a situation of danger yourself. Yeah. So uh, having that thought in everything that we do, also when we drive, also when we are traveling, is very important. Um, in the Holy Quran, we, you know, you you uh, mentioned the reference to the verse, 
chapter 2, verse 198. Mm. Um, Allah the Almighty says, And furnish yourself with necessary provision, and surely the pe- best provision is righteousness. So whenever we travel, um, you know, the teaching of Allah the Almighty is that we should have the necessary provisions, which is, you know, whether at that time in Arabia where people used to travel on camels um, or horses, you would make sure that your camel or horse is in good condition. You should make sure that you have food, drink with you to help you stay uh, focused uh, and refreshed on the on, on the way. And same, you know, when we are driving or when we are traveling, we should pay attention to these things and make sure that we are refreshed, make sure that we have um, provisions. And obviously the best of provisions is, is taqwa, as it says in the Holy Quran, which means righteousness, that mm. above everything, materialistic things, anything, the best thing is to have righteousness, that you fear uh, God Almighty and that you uh, act in the best uh, interest of um, you know other people around you um, and, and of society. So that means taking care of other people, um, and, and taking care of yourself as well. Yeah. And uh, remember that Allah the Almighty is always watching us, so you know if we do something that's not in line with the Islamic teachings or something that will harm other people, uh, even if that is reckless or something that we might take lightly, um, yeah. then, then we should always have this thought in mind that is this something that you know, will displease God Almighty or you know, is this something that is in line with my religious obligations? Um, and that, you know, um, comes um, also with travel. Definitely. And and before we go into what causes these road accidents in, accidents in more detail, um, I, I don't know if you share this opinion, but I, I've often found that um, maybe when I was young, I, I always used to be trying to, to beat the the what the satnav uh, satnav was saying to me what time i would arrive uh, like you know i'm trying to get there quicker and like we always have this thing of like we need to get there quicker quicker mm. and but i, I really I, I don't know when it was but I, I just sat there and i thought you know like okay one have you ever found it that you've got there that much quicker it's usually a matter of a few minutes and secondly imagine that that like just because of your rush to do that or to get there or to do something that's unsafe, you could impact somebody else's life forever, right? Like, because if you have an accident and you hurt someone else, or you know, you run someone over, that's impacting someone's life forever, just so that you could save what two minutes or arrive somewhere two minutes earlier. Like, yeah. So I think that um, it's really important, especially because I'm sure there's some drivers who are listening to us right now. You know, it's okay. You'd rather get to the destination than not get there at all so you know making sure that you're safe and you know that is always as you mentioned it's down to human error right we're only human we can make mistakes but we can stop ourselves making those mistakes by uh, just not always being in that rush to, to to get there or to just try and you know speed or unnecessarily um because it's just you could impact somebody else's life and and you know you could take someone's loved one away or someone's parent or whatever it is um, and just just to save a few minutes on a journey absolutely i think uh, even on, on longer journeys even if it makes a difference by five ten minutes 15 minutes still mm. as you mentioned it it's not worth it because uh, you know the the level of risk that goes up 
when you you know you are speeding and it's easy to do that because sometimes you don't realize the danger but you know the reaction time everything just you know slows down by 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 that extra speed so uh, so again i think it all comes down to 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 patience as well yeah. and to be sensible in the holy quran again allah the almighty says in inna allaha ma'as-sabirin that allah the almighty is with those who are patient so we have to be patient and we have to also as the quran you know in in the verse we talked about that you know do make necessary provisions when you travel that also includes that before you travel you know make sure that you leave on time make sure that you have the necessary provisions that you have the time on your side not that you're leaving like half an hour late or something like that so all of that comes into that category of preparedness and that surely is important because then you will not be stressed and you will not uh, put yourself or other people in uh, danger definitely and um I think before before we go into this um we've actually got a guest on the line. We have uh Dr. Susie Charman uh who is the executive director for the Road Safety Foundation. Um I think we're we're going to talk to her now and and get some uh answers to some questions. So um welcome to the show Dr. Susie. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your time today. Um so I'm going to get right into the questions because I'm really keen to hear from you. Um the Road Safety Foundation is a UK charity. What work do you do to help um actually improve road safety? Well that's a good question. Um so the Road Safety Foundation was established in the 1980s and in the last 20 years or so we've really focused on raising the safety standard of road infrastructure. So most people at this point say to me but it's people that cause crashes so why on earth are you focusing on infrastructure well the reason for that is that we understand that drivers will always make errors even when we're trying really hard to observe the rules of the road so hmm. we're quite error prone our brains aren't wise for whizzing around at 60 or 70 miles an hour and also we're quite fragile so we break when there's too much energy in a crash so what we're trying to do is provide a safe system where roads and vehicles can protect road users in a crash so you know we're not going to em- eliminate all crashes probably ever yeah. but we can eliminate all death and serious injury definitely because you know as they say we're only human um yeah. what what are some of the goals that you you've set in regards to the road safety so we've been saying for many many years that um death and serious injury from road crashes is largely preventable so we should be aiming for zero and indeed although we don't have national um casualty reduction targets in this country um national highways who run the strategic road network do have a zero harm ambition from road collisions by 2040 so they're trying to eliminate all death and injury on the network by then well wow, that's ambitious and hopefully going to happen um hopefully yeah definitely um so actually a follow up question to that do you think that um you know self driving cars are are something that are going to be like integral to that ambition so vehicle technologies are really really important and in, certainly in the last 20 years a lot of the decline in road um deaths and injury um has happened because of the improved passive safety of our vehicles but we're also now seeing some of the precursor technologies to automated driving helping us a lot so they call them advanced driver assistance systems so you might have blind spot 
alerts on your wing mirrors yeah. or you might have intelligent speed assistance that speaks at you if you go over the speed limit. So all of those things are really important. However, we're not going to see widespread use of autonomous vehicles, fully autonomous vehicles, on our highest risk roads for a long, long, long time, right. way beyond when I retired and left this area of work. So we can't rely on technology to just come along and save the day. We have to do something more than just um, improving the vehicles and waiting for those um, technologies to, to work. Because it's actually our single carriageway roads that are the most dangerous, but they're the hardest ones to get autonomous vehicles working hmm. because they're quite sort of, you know, tricky for them to read and there are lots of junctions and stuff like that. Whereas our motorways are really, really safe. Um, but they're the places where autonomous vehicles would probably work best straight away because there's good clear lines and they're nice and straight and there aren't very many junctions and stuff. So, no, we can't wait for autonomous vehicles to save the day, in my view. Definitely. I can concur that because um, I still don't, like, my car has a function to park itself and I just I just can't trust it. With, with the, <laughs> the wheel just keeps spinning itself and it just it just doesn't feel right. So I can totally see that. Um, so what what are some of the uh, strategies you've, you've previously proposed to help bring more safety to our roads? So one of the key things that we try to do in our work is to demonstrate how investment in safer roads is likely to pay back. So that's a really big theme of our annual crash risk mapping work that we do. And actually, we've seen some real um, advancements here. So the Department for Transport invested £100 million to invest um, to improve the safety on local authority A roads that were poorly performing. Um, and we know that those schemes are likely to prevent um, nearly 1,500 face and serious injuries over the next 20 years. And for those schemes, you get around £4 back in societal benefit for every pound you spend, so a really good return. Mm. Um, National Highways are also adopting a more proactive risk reduction approach as well across the strategic road network, um, thanks to the work that we do. So um, that's what we've been up to. Um, but, you know, it takes a, an awful lot of effort from a lot of people to make a real a real change. Definitely. And and so, like, how does that infrastructure like play a part in road safety? So we know that there are some really clear relationships between road characteristics, mm. so the design of roads, and the likelihood and severity of crashes. And we capture all of that in a tool that we called IRAP, um, which is the International Road Assessment Programme. And it shows us how risk varies along a route um, and it gives you suggestions of things that can improve safety. So thinking about um, the main types of crashes that we have, we have head-on crashes and the sorts of things that you can do in terms of infrastructure for those is putting up crash barriers in the middle of the road. But if you can't do that, then you might want to put up um, central hatching um, that gives you a bit of space between people moving in opposing directions. Um, runoff road crashes, it's all about you don't want to hit a tree, you don't want to hit a pole, something that could be intrusive into your car if you crashed into it. Um, so there we're talking about um, protecting uh, roadsides with barriers or clearing roadsides where we can. Um, it's difficult with trees because they're kind of protected environmentally, but we, we try our best to clear roadsides so that you can run off the road and come to a nice slow stop rather than hitting something. Um, and then another type of crash um, would be crashes at junctions. Um, so there we can encourage roundabouts, which are better for angles. Crash angles at roundabouts are really sort of glancing blows rather than the really serious side impact crashes that you get at T-junctions. 
But if you do have a T-junction, signalising it can help, putting in turning pockets and so on. Um, and then the last type of crash is a really important one, and that's crashes involving pedestrians and cyclists. Um, and at this point, you have a choice to be made. Either you reduce vehicle speeds to be below 20 miles per hour, because most people will survive um, a crash um, below 20 miles per hour as a, as a pedestrian or a cyclist, or you can provide facilities for walking and cycling, like footways, cycleways, and good crossing points and so on. Um, so actually, what we need to do is to provide a road environment that welcomes walking and cycling, because we're trying to get people out of their cars, we're trying to um, improve the environment, we're trying to reduce emissions, etc. Yeah. Um, actually, here, what's quite interesting is that speed is really important, and speed is the bad brother of road safety, isn't it? Nobody wants mm. to be slowed down. But actually, your risk of being fatally injured in a head-on crash, for example, goes up really sharply above 45 miles an hour. So that's something to bear in mind as you travel on single carriageway roads, for example. Definitely. Let's get let's get everybody walking. There'll be less crashes for sure. Um, and so the, the Road Safety Foundation has launched an active travel tour. Um, what what functions are there of this tool and how, how can it help? So what we're trying to do with that tool is to um, help road authorities to make really good decisions about what facilities would be safe and also very welcoming for different road users under different speeds and flows. So it's no good saying to us that we need to increase walking and cycling by 50% by 2030 without giving people facilities where they feel safe and are safe to walk and cycle. So here it's all about not just providing facilities for you know, people who cycle wearing lycra and are really brave, but also for people like me, a middle-aged woman with kids and older people, disabled people, getting everybody out there and active is really, really important. So this tool is all about um, allowing the practitioners to see who would feel okay about using facility when you've got traffic moving at a particular speed or um, or a particular flow of traffic as well. And the idea is that hopefully we start to move towards a more inclusive walking and cycling environment so we can all get fit and leave our cars at home. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time today. That was really interesting and, and you know, gave me some great context on the subject. So thank you. Oh, thank you very much for your um, time and for allowing me to speak about this. It's obviously a subject that's really um, a passion of ours. Definitely. Have a great rest of your day and speak to you soon. Thank you. Take care, everyone. So, Sophia, we we spoke to Dr. Susie uh, Charman, who was the executive director for the Road Safety Foundation. I think one of the key messages we got there was, you know, if we slow down, we're less likely to hurt anyone if 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 there's, a, you know, some sort of crash, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's very interesting to uh, listen to uh, Susan. Uh, obviously, she was explaining how there are different measures put in place. When you know the roads are made, then you have obviously barriers to stop, uh, you know, uh, the impact of head-to-head uh, -head collisions. You have spaces, you have, you know, um, different slipways and things like that to kind of, you know, um, uh, limit uh, the scope of accidents or the uh, severity of that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what we talked about earlier, human error. So we have to, people have to take responsibility. We all have to take uh, responsibility when we are on the road driving because we are essentially, um, you know, uh, 
the ones responsible and also steering the the vehicle vehicle driving it. So if we put our foot down more than what we used, uh, what we're supposed to, or our speed is um, you know higher than what we uh, are allowed, then then of course all of those things are pushing the risks up. But and I think speed again is the main problem, as as uh, Susie also highlighted that. And it's actually backed up by further studies as well, according to um, an, an injury lawyers association as well called Pine uh, Salomon um, Association. They have also said that all accidents, you know, are uh, out of all accidents, one third is caused directly by speeding. Yeah. So the reason is simply because the faster a person drives, the less time the person has to react. And also this leads to the increased forces on the human body when colliding at high speed. So, for example, you know, uh, she talked about uh, the speed being less as well, uh, mm. 20. And as it can be, you know, seem slow if you're driving through definitely. a town, but you definitely never think, or, or we should actually think about this, that, you know, if, God forbid, you know, somebody, a child or anybody would, you know, out of nowhere or from a concealed place between cars or uh, shops or, uh, you know, um, anywhere that's kind of a blind spot for you just comes running out and you're on slow speed um, driving at 20, for example, then you have more time to react. Plus, the impact would be less uh, for that child who obviously doesn't know what uh, he or she is doing or, you know, it just protects the people but it protects you as well. But that, that speed, if it was 30, 40, then you're just increasing the risk of uh, uh, serious injury um, and, and distress to yourself and also, um, you know, people, um, you know, using the road. So, again, uh, speed is uh, crucial um, in terms of, you know, how we can uh, limit uh, that. And this is something that is backed up, as I said, by a lot of studies uh, by organizations as well. No, it's, it's, it's really important because, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, Islam also teaches you that you should understand why there are certain things that are described. And, you know, speaking to Susie, um, I think that you don't, you know, you drive and you see these barriers there and sometimes they can be an inconvenience. You're like, oh, it's 20 miles an hour here. It's, it's slower. And But once you actually try to understand why, like why are why is this infrastructure there? Why like why is this barrier here? It's surely not so that uh, I scrape my alloy, right? Like that's not what it's designed to do. It's it's designed yeah. to do something that will, you know, increase the safety of others. And mm-hmm. you know that that parallel is again with Islam that you know to to understand and and to educate yourself and question why, because then you have a better understanding. And I know now that when I'm looking around on the road and I see these, um, you know, structures, I, I'm going to think more, okay, wait, is there a school around here? Is that, is that why maybe it's, it's 20 miles an hour and, you know, just be more aware of these things, right? It's, it's, it's really mm. important to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think with the Islamic teaching as well, again, if we go back to what we talked about in, in the beginning of the program, that, you know, the best provision for our travel or, you know, journey is the righteousness. And that, that comes under righteousness, you know, thinking about the dangers, thinking about people uh, that could be, um, you know, 
uh, in danger. That that all comes in inside this category of righteousness to to have that provision. And I also remember coming across one saying of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, that uh, you know there was I think there was a camel, or, you know, uh, at the time of Arabia, camels were the main mode of transport. Hmm. And uh, there were, you know, some women on the camel, and um, one of the, you know, uh, person or companion who was uh, leading the camel was was leading it very fast. And the prophet uh, told him to slow down and to to go slow, so he wouldn't, you know, put uh, the people, uh, the women sitting on it, uh, in danger. So I think that's just some of the points that we see uh, that this is what Islam's uh, teachings are about, to protect uh, people, to make sure that we uh, do not put uh, ourselves and others at risk. And similarly, when we talk about roads being designed in a way that is clear and safe, again, you know, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, have said that, you know, you should not block the roads, you should not um, sit on the roads so that you cause disruption to mm. other people who are, you know, going past. Plus, there's another saying that, you know, if there's anything that's um, causing um, a um, hindrance on the road, and if you remove it, like, for example, a stick or uh, something that's in the middle of the road and is causing, uh, you know, difficulty for people, if you remove it, then that's a charity. So you will get a reward for doing that. So I think just, you know, these kind of things, uh, obviously, it gives us a platform to to sort of um, live our life. And, and this gives us also an idea that this is what should be in the back of our mind. This is all within that uh, provision of righteousness that we talked about uh, in the Holy Quran. Definitely. And before we, we continue this discussion, I think it's important to get a different type of opinion. And um, on the line we have our guest, uh, Muflia Ahmed, who uh, is a science teacher and a mom of three, uh, who's going to give us that um, perspective from a, a mother and a teacher. Uh, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time show today. Walaikum salam. How's everybody on Drive Time today? Very good, thank you. Thank you very much for asking. Um, so what what we're trying to understand and, and would love for you to give us um, your opinion on is as, as a mother of young kids, what advice would you give to other parents when walking down the street with children? I think one thing that I have to say that I notice um, people doing is when their kids' children are old enough um, or even when they're not old enough, I've seen parents, um, especially fathers, cross the street when it's not, when the green man is not on. And that and that is problematic because other people's children are then learning, oh, it's okay to cross it. And children are not, they can't judge speed. So they cannot um, judge accurately and can then be involved in accidents. So I think it's always about setting good role models. So making sure, even if you know that, okay, it's safe to cross the street, but actually waiting for the green man, especially if there's other children about. And even if you think you you know your kids, but actually they might try what you're doing. So I think my biggest recommendation is to just wait for the green man to come on. Definitely, I, I I really agree with that because you know you you're setting a bad example and, and the child may think oh it's okay to to do that and um, mm-hmm. no that's that's really good advice. So 
what are some of the things that you've taught your own children when it comes to crossing roads or, you know, when they're going out alone? Well, I've already, they're not old enough to go out alone yet. My eldest is seven, however, I do say to them that always cross at a crossing, whether that's a pelican crossing or just, just a island in the middle or um, a pedestrian crossing, a proper one. So they always cross on those because you're less likely to be involved in something harmful and, and cars or drivers are more likely to be able to see you because they're anticipating you with the crossings, hopefully. Um, and uh, looking left, looking right, um, looking all around you and keeping headphones off as well. I think it's quite a big trend with the younger um, generation now. They have headphones on, so they don't, they're not aware of, uh, I might myself be a culprit of this, but they're not aware of the surrounding um so you need to have headphones on so then you can be headphones off so they can be aware of what's happening in the surroundings. Definitely, I think that headphones point is, is uh, a great one because, you know, maybe having just one in so that you can hear um, anyone yeah. approaching. I think that's, that's great advice. Cause or a low volume. I know some people, they have such a high volume that they can't hear anything. Else. Definitely. And, and technology has improved so much that you get this like surround sound feeling that you can, you know, noise cancelling a lot more so. Definitely, that's not the noise you want to cancel out. Um, so, as a teacher, like, what kind of behaviour do you look for in drivers near schools? Well, I think they need to be slow and careful. They need to be aware that they're actually there's a school here. Um, and therefore, and obviously, in, in England, um, uh, by the grace of God, we've got laws, which uh, we've got, look at the driving regulations. There are signs that this is a school. You get the triangular signs as a driver and you see those and you should be careful but I think a lot of the times unfortunately the rules are broken um, I'm from Bradford so in Bradford this is a real problem in my own children's school there's people parking on the zigzag line outside the school they're just completely um, not um, not aware or even aware but not really bothering about everyone else or uh, all the drive, all the rules of, of the uh, driving or um, looking after any neighbours or anything like that. They're just bothered about, oh, I'm going to get the closest spot to the school and go drop off my kid. So it's more about the parents than other drivers, I think, um, that park quite close to school. Again, I think that's, that's a really good point. Um, I think they, if 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 people are just too too concerned about them and their their children getting them there on time, especially parking on the zigzag, that's 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 a difficult one. Um, and then, so what do you expect from schools when it comes to taking care of their students' safety in public places? I think schools can only do what is in their capacity. I mean, they're not they're not um, they can't give fines out, and they certainly can't police cars, but. Um, from my own, um, uh, the school that I work at, high school, and, and my ch- children's primary school, the example is the teacher's actually out. The head teacher's definitely out. Um, senior leadership are also out. So they're out surround- in the surrounding streets. They just stand there um, for about 10 minutes before school starts and 10 minutes after just to kind of see the kids off and, you know, everything's okay. And that, that is a really good call by the school. Um, I think that just helps keep children safe and it can... It can also show the drivers actually there's people about um, I need to be careful here. So I think that that is one really good um, rule for schools to follow. Thank you very much for your time today. That was been that has been really insightful to to understand more uh, from a teacher and a mother perspective. Uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Okay, thank you. Okay, Samikom. Samikom.
So that was uh, Muflia Ahmed, who is a science teacher and mom, and she gave some really great advice on how you know we should be more mindful of um, children around schools. You know, as parents, as drivers, you know, trying to get rushing. And it goes back to your point earlier, Sophia, where you were saying, you know, take the, um, where the grant mentions to take the necessary provisions. It's for that reason. If you, if you're prepared for your journey, you're, you're less likely to rush. Um, you're, uh, you're less likely to speed and then you're less likely to hurt someone or impact somebody else's life in some way, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think there are obviously some challenges, uh, for him that, um, you can't really do much about. For example, in London or here in England, for example, we have um, quite congested roads and sometimes mm. there's no parking, you know, for parents in the morning when there's generally a lot of traffic as well, people going, you know, for work and they need to drop their kids off at school or nurseries. It is difficult as well because, you know, you you do have um, not enough time. Plus, you 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 need to find somewhere to park safely or stop safely. So it is, you know, uh, some challenges. There are some challenges, but of course, those challenges are certainly not more important than the safety of children. So whatever it takes, we have to uh, just make sure that uh, our children are safe uh, and the roads are safe around the schools. Definitely and. You know, going back to, to, to speed, um, I think that it's actually speed costs um, a country more money, right? Um, the National Highway Traffic Safety Admin Association actually estimates that $28 billion are used due to the handling uh, of speed-related crashes. So it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, impacting people's lives. It's also impacting the, the economy because we're spending more on it, right? So... Um, I think it's, it's definitely important to make drivers aware of the danger because speeding is intentional and calculate and a calculated act. Um, and drivers are aware of the risk, but they choose to ignore the dangerous consequences. And um, this is backed up by by another study um, by the Pine Solomon Injury Lawyers uh, ABC Association, where they state that. Um, 90% of the drivers admitted speeding at some point in their lives, while 75% admitted on doing this regularly. So what are your thoughts on on that? I'm sure you've witnessed and, and, and experienced things like that yourself. Yeah, look, I mean, it's easy to make those mistakes. Yeah. It's easy to underestimate your speed. Mm. Um, you might think that, you know, the road is fairly clear or, you know, um, the speed is fine. Other people are doing probably the you know same kind of speed. So what's the harm in if I am doing that? So I think all of these things we all have probably experienced, and we all probably a little bit guilty of sometimes. Um, but we have to just um, <clears throat> kind of remind ourselves that uh, you never know uh, what can happen next. I mean, I remember there was recently there was a um, you know program. Of, uh, of a crash uh, that happened um, here in the UK and it was quite a fatal crash. There were a couple of people who died. Sadly, um, a, a lorry driver that, uh, you know, a, a lorry that crashed into, um, you know, traffic uh, of cars that, that, that were queuing up because of congestion and 
the, the lorry driver had admitted that he was on the phone, so he didn't realize that the traffic was slowing down. Um, and when he did see it, it was already too late, and the lorry was going at speed. So it, it's very sad because when you when you look at that that interview, which which they have obviously released um, in the news, uh, certainly for for people to see and understand, and probably you know for education, um, you can see how 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 sad that driver as well is that he did not realize the consequences. And when people are have you know died because of you know one action like that, uh, it's just it's just very sad. But it shows what can happen if if we are not careful, and that you know if we if we just uh, watch our speed, um, it's it's better and uh, you know it's it's worth it rather than regretting it later. Definitely, and and I like topics like this, and and, and because they give you practical advice and, mm. and make you realize you know your day-to-day actions can impact others and it's really important to be conscious of that. And I think one of the misconceptions, uh, again, about speeding is just that it can save time and and maybe even money, like, you know, if they're late for work or whatever, that that impact that they're worried about. But actually, in the UK alone, like, this can cause a £5,000 fee. Like, £5,000 is not a small amount of money. And three to nine points added to your licence. And even a discretionary disqualification. And I think... Um, and, and people can go to jail, obviously. If, of if course. People, if there are crashes and people end up dying, um, or, you know, if there's fertilities, then, then the person who's responsible can go to jail. So that's quite serious. And people don't realize it. Yeah. Uh, when we, you know, when, when people are speeding or driving over the speed, then, then you probably don't realize that you know if something goes wrong god forbid and it can easily then then you're looking at some serious consequences for yourself and your family and everybody around you definitely and just thinking if you've impacted somebody else's life just the 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 guilt of it all right like it's Mm -hmm. not worth that extra minute that you got there early um it's not worth the risk and yeah I, i just um the, even and I think you know people sometimes say, "Oh, I got three points on my license, and, and you know, just a hundred pound fine or whatever it was." Uh, it also impacts your insurance for the next, is it five years? I think uh, you have to keep declaring it on your insurance if there's any sort of accident or um, or a fine that you've had. So it's going to impact you finance uh, financially, right? Something like that, yeah. And I think there were one of the things that. Uh, is helpful is obviously these fines and high penalties does help because that should people that should put people um, you know off a little bit of uh, speeding seriously and um, I think there is a lot of like first time if, if somebody has speeded they they would also be offered you know um, road safety course or something like that that um, makes them you know, understand because sometimes people, new drivers, people who have just had license, might not be aware of the dangers, and they might need that extra education, which I think is, is great as well. It, you know, it, it gives them the education about how their um, decisions can impact uh, road safety and, and other people. So, high fines again is a good thing because the, the stronger the punishment is, hopefully, you know, that will. Um, Deter you know, people. Uh, yeah, deter people. 
And I think another thing for him which uh, came across my mind mm. is that there is a prayer as well. So for example, when we as Muslims, you know, we're, we're taught by uh, the Holy Prophet, uh, Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that when we are traveling, before we are traveling, we, we should recite certain prayers. So there's yeah. the prayer, SubhanAllah, in Arabic, and the translation is that uh, all praise belongs to Allah who has created this, uh, you know, who has made us uh, able to travel um, in this way, in this mode of transport. And we will, we were not able to um, have full control or full, you know, um, full, full um, control over it in a way that, you know, uh, that we could easily manage it. So that again is, you, you never know something can go wrong with your mode of transport, which is out of your control, which is not, you know, speeding, could be a mechanical breakdown, could be anything, right? Mm. So that prayer, which has been taught 1,400 years ago, that before you are traveling, pray this prayer that, you know, um, Allah protect us on our travels, and um, then it's a similar prayer that every time you go out of the house, whether you're traveling or you're walking on foot or anywhere you're going, that includes traveling as well, that you pray that Allah protect us from making a mistake uh, or Allah protect us from um, doing uh, ill or, or causing harm to anybody else and also protect us from other people causing us harm by mistake. Um, so such complete prayers we find uh, yeah. in the Islamic teachings about travel, about going out of the house. And again, everybody, Islam teaches that before every action you do, you should recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. And not just recite it, but of course, in your heart, you should be, you should be having, you should be reciting that from your heart, meaning that you, if you are traveling or if you're going out, that you, you really are thinking or remembering Allah, meaning that you are keeping that righteousness, that fear of God Almighty in your heart, again, which we uh, talked about in the beginning of the verse, that the best provision is righteousness. Hmm. So once we have that provision of righteousness in our hearts, then hopefully that should remind us to keep safe ourselves and also other people when we are traveling and the mode of transport that we're traveling on as well. Definitely. And in the foresight, because I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure about you, but I don't think there was many camel crashes back in the day as well. So the foresight of this is, is incredible. Um, before we quickly talk about how lowering the speed limit may be safer, um, there's there's common re- other common reasons that that uh, result not just not just speeding. It's it's getting distracted by our phones. Since 2017, the UK has added a £200 fine and six points added to the license when doing so because this is based on studies that texting and driving can twice as likely cause a crash as being drunk and driving, uh, which is, again, low uh, due to lower speed reaction time. Uh, again, drink driving itself is 13% cause of the annual deaths in the UK, which, again, occurs due to low reaction time. Drink driving can lead to a ban from driving, uh, fines, and even jail time, depending on the type of accident that took place. So th- those were just a couple of more reasons in addition to speeding. But um, Sophia, we've got to ask the question, is 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 lowering the speed limit safer? It's a tough I one, think it, it? <laughs> depends on probably 
that's a question we could ask a, a road safety expert or definitely. Yeah, um, but I think look, sometimes it's interesting because if you travel to other countries, sometimes you will see um, that it says that you know minimum speed forty or mm. minimum speed fifty. So basically, in some places, for example, on a motorway, you, you cannot accept that people are going on the speeds of thirty or forty, whereas mm. the speed is seventy because. Their lower speeds will cause uh, danger. I mean, it could cause an accident Definitely. because somebody might be driving, you know, the 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 highway speed, and then suddenly somebody pulls pulls into the highway driving on thirty, forty, and then that could really cause a problem. So, and congestion and all of that, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, the the, the experts who are deciding this, you know, they look at so many different things: the environment, uh, the the roads, uh, the junctions, all of these things. So speed limits, uh, it all depends. Like in the town, obviously, we know in London, for example, in most mm. uh, small roads, uh, the, the speed limit has gone from, come down actually from 30 to 20, I think. Yeah. And, um, and and yeah, so, so it's a hard question really to answer. Uh, no, definitely. Uh, I, I, I know it's, it's a difficult one because, um, you know, I think it, it's a debate that's going on, you know, um, there's statistics in in an information about Wales um, from next year they're, they're reducing the, the speed limit from 30 to 20 miles per hour in built-up areas as well. Um, oh. So ministers believe that it, it will lower road collisions and noise, encourage, encouraging people to walk or cycle, as as Susie mentioned earlier. But um, there's there's been this disagreement uh, in areas where there have been trials because mm. some motorists are actually complaining of more congestion and journeys taking longer. Um, Wales was actually uh, will be the the first nation to impose twenty miles per hour as the default on all restricted roads. Uh, I think it's still mm. the default here is thirty, isn't it? Um, and the latest yeah. data from the BBC show that five thousand five hundred seventy people. Um, largest proportions hurt in collisions in Wales ha- happen on 30 mile per hour roads. So I think I think the, there's there's still a debate going on about this, isn't there? About whether lowering the speed limit will be safer. I think there's there's lots of different ways you can look at it as well, isn't there? Yeah, and it's obviously going to depend from uh, from uh, city to city and uh, roads to roads how. How it is. I mean, from London, you know yourself as well. Like yeah. the area probably that you live in, or uh, areas around London that you know sometimes you, you cannot be going 30 because you know it's, it's such narrow roads and uh, you know. Um, but but then obviously you go other roads that are that you know might not be suitable for a 20 miles per hour speed. But um, I think playing about one thing that you mentioned earlier, which I just had something that I wanted to add on was the uh, impact of uh, drink driving. And that's another aspect, uh, you know, if we look at it from the Islamic perspective, you know, you mentioned that uh, drink driving itself uh, causes uh, annual deaths, which uh, amounts to about 13% uh, in the UK. Um, And obviously thousands of people uh, dying um, because of uh, that particular being uh, under the influence of alcohol. And obviously when they crash, there are other people who, who die because of, uh, because of that, so all of that number comes uh, inside this. So again, Islam is a religion that has um, 
has prohibited people from uh, or prohibited Muslims from from consuming alcohol. So that is another advantage that if you are not consuming alcohol, then obviously that 13% will be reduced. Uh, that that those those thousands of lives that go lost because um, because of uh, you know accidents resulting from drink driving mm. um, is something that can be reduced significantly if people were not consuming alcohol. So that's one of the reasons as well, because in Islam, alcohol has been prohibited because it causes more harm um, than uh, you know advantage. Um, and, um, uh, and it causes people to lose their senses, they're not themselves. And that's exactly what happens when people are driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs again, which Islam prohibits. So, again, that's an advantage that we find in the Islamic teachings 1,400 years ago. Yeah. No, definitely. And um, just just thinking of time, and, and we do like to give some practical advice when, when possible. Um, so the question of, of what can we do, um, I think parents do need to make their children aware of the Green Cross Code. Um, you know, it, it's... Cr- cr- the purpose of its creation was to, to raise awareness for pedestrians on the road in the UK. Um, this is being taught in schools. However, it should also be reinforced at home by parents and guardians. Um, in 2015, 39% of road casualties were pedestrians, which is 6,280. So that's a lot of impact there. And, you know, you may be asking, what is the green cost? Cross code, um, finding that tongue twister there. Um, the Green Cross code uh, is six steps. Um, so there's the think, first find the safest place to cross, um, second stop, stand on the pavement near the curb, uh, three it's use your eyes and ears, look all around for traffic and listen, four it's wait until it is safe to cross if traffic is coming. Um, let it pass let it pass um five look and listen um when it is safe go straight across the road do not run um and finally six arrive alive keep looking and listening i think the advice about um using headphones uh, being mindful of that is is a good one as well uh mentioned by our uh, um our other guest as well um so uh, before we end the show, um, do you have any more thoughts uh, on maybe some advice or any any thoughts of what you've kind of reflected on, uh, given this subject, Sophia? Um, well, Fahim, I think we've covered a lot of things. Uh, just another narration which I wanted to mention because mm-hmm. that could benefit our listeners. Uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that pay the road, it's right. Um, the people around him, his companions, asked uh, what is the right of the road, you know, O Prophet of Allah? Uh, he said, lowering your gaze, uh, refraining from harming others, returning greeting and enjoying, enjoining what is good and forbidding what is evil. So again, that is a, such a comprehensive saying um, about, you know, road safety as well as, you know, righteousness as well, um, and not to, to cause harm to other people, um, you know, greet people, uh, be nice and good and and and, and stay away and also uh, for you know uh, forbid other or you know uh, promote what is good um so again that is something that comes to road safety as well sometimes people 
you know, do crazy things uh, in drought rage. Um, so again, that is something to, to keep in mind. Again, beautiful that Islam highlighted these things 1,400 years ago. Definitely. And I think that, you know, it's really important that we cover topics like this because, you know, some of our listeners, I'm sure a portion of them are driving as we speak. So, you know, giving them this practical advice um, and, it, it, you know, it, it's it's a testament to Islam as well, how it's relevant in every aspect of life. You know, something as simple as road safety. Um, I was really pleased with, with the, the narration you shared. You know, you, you automatically think, "What right is there? Like, what right is there for a road?" But um, it's being mindful of everyone around. Um, so that's definitely a, a great subject that we've covered today. Um, we're going to be covering another subject, which is Jalsa Salana, um, which is the annual uh, convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, um, which will be in the next hour. Um, just a, a final thought is, is you know, it's really important to take care of for your surroundings and uh, caring for others by obeying the rules to keep yourself and others safe. Um, you know, the speed limit has shown with its figures for reducing accidents. So it's there for a reason. So um, we're just going to take a short break for the news. Um, thank you, Sophia. And um, we'll be we'll be back after this short break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome back. Thursday Drive Time um, with uh, Brother Fahim, and joining you is me, myself, and I, Al Qayyum, um, with another interesting topic uh, that we're going to be talking about for the next hour or so. And it's actually a very, very important topic. And uh, it's something that uh, we're going to be experiencing over the next uh, three to four days, okay. which is something called Jalsa Salana. It's a word that you guys have must have heard, you know, infinite number of times on this mm-hmm. radio station. And what it literally means is Jalsa means a gathering yeah. um, and Salana is means annual. So it's an annual gathering that yeah. will be happening in um, um, in uh, uh, in Alton, in uh, in Hampshire, yeah. where people from United Kingdom. Um, uh, normally, what thirty, thirty-five thousand fame? Yes, yeah, around. Yeah, can go go up to forty. It's gone up it? to yeah. forty. Yeah. Uh, usually, um, yeah. pre-pandemic, uh, Pre, yeah. um, you know, we used to get around forty thousand people gathering. Uh, it is a spiritual gathering, which is normally uh, hosted by the Amdi Muslim community. And as I said, it's uh, it's in uh, um, uh, in uh, in Alton in in Hampshire, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, it's not just Muslims who attend, is it, uh, Fahim? It's it's a uh, it's a mixed gathering for, for non-Muslims. Yeah, definitely uh, Muslims. Uh, it's it, it's it's a great gathering that kind of uh, really helps you understand, um, you know, Islam and and you know, it's it, this year um, there won't be um, people from. Uh, there won't be international. There won't guests. be international guests, yeah. right? Um, so, but usually when we have this uh, event, we it's it's. 
it's quite a lot of people it's it's good you see people you haven't seen in a very long time it's it's you know it's it's that really feel good i think the economist um has, has said it's a it's a great it's been covered by the economist as well and they said it was a festival um and yeah it's 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 something that really i think everyone has some strong memories uh, associated with it as with, well right without a shadow of a doubt um the the founder of the Amni muslim community the promised messiah uh, on whom BP said the pro- the primary purpose of the con- convention is to enable every sincere individual to personally experience religious benefits. Hmm. They may enhance their knowledge and due to their belonging, due to their being blessed and by enabled by God Almighty, the exalted, their perception of Allah may progress. Among its among its secondary benefits is that this congregational meeting together will promote mutual introduction amongst all brothers, and it will strengthen. The fraternal ties within the community, um, you know, it, it is exactly that yeah. is what everybody has been experiencing, haven't they, Fahim? No, definitely. Like I remember this for many years since a child, like been going there quite regularly, and um, you always walk away feeling spiritually uplifted. I think that that's probably it's that every year you you walk away feeling, you know. Wow, like uh, I understand my my spirituality a lot more, mm. right? Definitely, I think that um and and you know there's a lot of history when it comes to this uh, event. It was actually for the first time in in December ni- uh, eighteen ninety one, the the promised Messiah um Al Islam uh, summoned Jamaat members to a gathering in Gardian, which is in India, um with relation to the first spiritual test uh, the promised messiah issued to muslim clerics in his book uh, the heavenly degree that year the goal of the meeting was to seek advice for the creation of members who would serve as judges so um on december 27 1891 these uh, 75 companions made the long journey to guardian uh, the heavenly decree was read aloud throughout the congregation. The ca- companions offered advice, and those in attendance had the chance to shake the hands, um, the blessed hands of the promised Messiah, and benefit from his company. And, and it was at, actually at this time that the the promised Messiah declared that going forward, a Jalsa Salana will always take place in December. He stated, three days of every year should be fixed for a gathering in which all my devoted followers should, God willing, be present with the condition of health, time and absence of strong impediments. So it, it's it's that um, continuation of, of this historic moment and, and you know, uh, I I honestly, I, uh, apart from the great the fact that there's great and amazing food there, um, it it really um, does give me some great uh, memories. Do you agree? You know, it's uh, we, we were talking about numbers, and uh, I'd look at it as a um, blessing and an experience that people have. I've experienced uh, annual gatherings in India, hmm. in Kardian, oh wow, uh, and in Pakistan. In the days when it was allowed, yeah, where you know we talk about forty thousand people here, um, you know, in Pakistan you were looking at a hundred thousand minimum, yeah. wow, uh, in an open field, um, and uh, and the point is that those memories stay with you, yeah, and as you grow older, those memories become stronger, mm. those ties you've made um, are not temporary; they're not for that occasion. One of the one of the beauties of these gatherings, as the Promised Messiah stated, is the the development of the brotherhood, and it's so natural 
that the environment at these gatherings, the spiritual uh, environment that gets yeah. created simply by the, the the mindsets of the people, where people don't need to say anything, yeah. just the look on the face, the, that peace, the contentment, and the happiness when you meet someone from another country. Yeah. You don't really need to go into too much introduction because that brotherhood is already there. Mm. Um, and you, you're just kind of bringing it out. Yeah. And once you make that connection, um, it, it, is, it, it is there forever. And when you do meet that person, maybe in years, yeah. the first thing that uh, you say to each other is, do you remember that time we met at the annual gathering? Yeah, I, I I could totally concur that because for me there's actually um, a couple of individuals, one one in particular, um, who I literally only ever see on this occasion, and and it's I see him every year, and we always bump into each other at the same time every year. Obviously, um, depending on, on on whether it's held just because of the pandemic, but um, yeah, we've seen each other this like for, I don't know, going back ten. 10 15 years and we've seen each other each year and it just it's, it's such a simple concept right and an annual gathering um to to bring people together to in in the feeling of of spirituality and making yourself um you know that brotherhood just continues and you know i find that a lot of the times you um, you can lose brotherhood by not seeing each other, right? That's, that's, right. that's what happens, isn't it? You, it is. you don't see each other for a while, you, you don't have that connection, but this re- reinvigorates it each year. Now, we did mention that, you know, up to 40,000 people, um, mm. uh, you know, gather at these kind of occasions. And, you know, when we look in the media, whenever there's a festival and when there's some kind of big gathering happening and mm. the media covers it, um, in, in sometimes more than, the, more, more than the people, there's police presence. Yes, there is presence of authority. There's yeah. presence um, of of a lot of security measures, yeah. um, which is good. Yeah. It, it's needed in in the world to keep we live in. Safe, yeah. um, but you know, most of the times it is professional people who are coming in and doing different kind of jobs in accordance with their w- with their fields. Mm. The beauty of these gatherings around the world within the Amdi Muslim community is that majority, if not all, yeah. is volunteers. Yes, people from all walks of life are doing um you know um important jobs as being head of security yeah all the way down to you know managing the full gathering yeah to all the way down to cleaning pans and you might find a scientist or an economist yeah. or a professional who's just cleaning pans yes um, because and a lot of them and a lot of them <laughs> yes um because it's not about uh, uh you know their profession mm. Again, it's about that brotherhood mm. and it's about volunteering at such a spiritual event mm. and, and, and gathering and, and, and kind of earning those blessings that come from these events. Definitely, everyone just wants to play their part, right? It, it, right. it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, scrubbing some toilets or, or washing a pan or, you know, uh, car parking. Like, there's so many different things. And, and you've got to think about it. Uh, to organize an event for that many people, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. Uh, you know, just the cutting of onions, think of that. Simple as How, how many onions? How many? <laughs> thousands and thousands. Right? But, you know, some of the misconceptions that always uh, Islam gets targeted with is oh there's no women involved that ladies don't have a have a role in it exactly so today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking to a number of ladies yes. who we interviewed um and they they are they hold um, prominent offices 
mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, and office bearers who are part and parcel of organizing um, the, the, this event, yeah. um, you know, which will be holding thousands and thousands of people. So let's go and listen to our first interview um, with uh, Ms. Iram Ahmed, who is the head of discipline of the of the of the out uh, of the of the of the outskirts of the um, of the ladies arena yeah. um at the the annual gathering and uh, she has been serving as the head of discipline um for this particular area for the past le- for the past 11 years so let's go and see what miss Ahmed had to say can you tell us about your role at Jalsa Salana UK and what you do uh, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh my name is uh, Iram Hamayu Ahmed and I'm serving as Nazma Discipline Baron and Nazma Reception uh, of Battle Fatu uh, at Jalsa Salana. Alhamdulillah, I've been working in this Discipline Baron department for last 11 years. Alhamdulillah, I've been serving here as Nazma and uh, we have experienced a lot of different kind of things in different years. Alhamdulillah, um, our Lajna development and children, they are, they are, they cooperate us, uh, with us really well. And um, we serve actually all the guests of Promised Messiah who usually come at Jalsa and uh, either stay here at uh, Jalsaga or they come and back every day. But uh, it is our responsibility, the people with little children, with a- any age of children or people with disability who are sitting outside, so we need to um, uh, facilitate them uh, in best of manner. This is our um, all of the way to serve them. In any manner, we can help in khidmat khalq We can help to serve them as food, anything they need, or even uh, while they are sitting. So we need to take care of their comfortability at the first priority. Okay. How do you and your team prepare for all the guests coming to Jalsa? What type of preparation is taken to take care of all of these attendees? Uh, yes, uh, because you know, uh, every year, Alhamdulillah, uh, the uh, quantity of guests, the amount of guests is uh, increasing. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. So, of course, we uh, try our level best. We have a big team, around more than 100 people in my team. So, Alhamdulillah, we just uh, organize a uh, few meetings. We schedule all the things uh, pre Jalsa that uh, under my assistance whose duty is whatever they are doing in which area they are doing their duty and uh, alhamdulillah now after 11 years um, i can say by the grace of god my team and even uh, the especially the older members they are quite experienced uh, with the difficulties handling the difficulties and tackling all the uh, measures at jalsaga it is tradition that on the second day of Jalsa, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community delivers a speech in the women's marquee. Do you sense a difference in the atmosphere when His Holiness is present in the women's area? Oh yes, certainly, because uh, uh, mashallah, when Hazur arrives, uh, alhamdulillah, in our Jalsa ga at ladies' side, the emotions are at their hype and uh, um, a lot of ladies, even they are working usually, but they uh, they take off from their work at least of, of that particular day to listen Hazur's speech and uh, see our beloved Khalifa. So it's it's another experience. It's another experience. It's uh, very much different with all other days. But Alhamdulillah, people do uh, even though they are um, uh, they are having their emotions on high, but still they carry on all the procedures. They uh, obey and serve in the particular manner. And uh, we don't face, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, till now, any particular difficulty to ta- uh, take care of people. 
And the final question, at Jalsa there are special marquees in the ladies section for mothers and children so that they may benefit from the programmes too. How do you encourage the children to take part and learn from the programmes? Yes, uh, we have got, uh, usually we have three marquees only for mother and children, which is a big thing. So we can, so then we can facilitate all the people, especially with little children. They're coming with their pushchairs, they are taking care of their children, and they need to listen to the Huzoor's khutbah, Huzoor's speech as well. So TVs are there, uh, uh, big screens are there, speakers are there, and all the facilities are being pro- provided in the uh, same very markets to take care of the mother and children. So then they, they do not need to go anywhere else to ask for food or anything else. So this is the main reason. So children can see easily our beloved Khalifa on the biggest screen. And uh, it's a big thing because they pay very much attention if they watch our uh, beloved Khalifa coming on a screen, giving their speech. So uh, they listen uh, mostly with their uh, mothers staying in the children, mother and children market. And there you had uh, the head of the discipline team for... Uh, the women's area, you kept on hearing the word Lajna. Lajna Amala is basically the committee or the organization of, of ladies within the Amdiya Muslim community. Um, <clears throat> and you had Miss Ahmed who was uh, explaining the, uh, her duty um, and her responsibility in respect of uh, um, her role that she plays within uh, the Amdiya Muslim uh, uh, women's organization uh, for uh, the annual gathering at uh, United Kingdom. But before I come, me and Fahim go into another conversation. Let's go and listen uh, to uh, Ms. Faria Adnan, uh, who is the deputy head of the security ID scanning uh, for the women's area. Uh, and she has been doing this duty for the past six years. And, and as, as I mentioned, the, you know, um, some of these titles might, come, uh, might, might sound strange and you think, why? But then, as I said, if you go to any festival or any kind of organization, any convention, um, security is very important, and uh, and and it's no different from 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 this uh, from from uh, uh, from uh, this gathering. The difference is that uh, we have trained volunteers uh, who are trained in um, in these particular fields, um, so they have the relevant equipment to do the scanning, and uh, and every individual who enters uh, the gathering goes through scanners. Um, and uh, and uh, there is a certain rules, regulations, and there's a discipline that needs to be adhered to, and uh, and uh, um, and it is uh, this duty is carried out by uh, a team of people who, as I said, um, is is headed by um, and who is the de- and the, the deputy head um, is uh, is Freya Adnan. So let's go and um, listen to what Freya had to say on uh, on her role for this gathering. Can you tell us more about your role in Jalsa and what you do? Assalamualaikum, my name is Fariha Adnan um, and I work in the ID scanning team. Uh, I previously worked in the security team that's near the main stage um, and I've also delivered the security training to all the female security teams and I've been doing so for about the past six years. Um, in my ID scanning duty, we're, we're kind of the first faces that you see coming into the lady side of Jalsaga. Um, we're checking COVID passes um, and uh, making sure that we're enhancing the security of the event. Zakala, what would you say is your favourite aspect of Jalsa and your duty and why? Um, I would say definitely meeting so many people um, is, is my favourite aspect um, of Jalsa in general. And then my favourite aspect of uh, my duty is seeing those um, guests coming to Jalsa, welcoming them. 
Um, we haven't had a Jalsa of this scale in quite a few years. Um, and this year we're seeing people coming from Manchester, Glasgow, Wales, coming really far with their families. Um, and so seeing their enthusiasm in being back at Jalsa is, is incredibly heartwarming. Just as you mentioned, you meet people in the thousands every day at Jalsa coming from all backgrounds. Do you feel the sense of community enhanced in these three days? Oh, absolutely. Um, everyone that you see working here, they're all volunteers. Um, and so working side by side um, to essentially run what is a temporary, <laughs> temporary village um, and serving the guests of the Promised Messiah uh, is a true blessing and uh, really enhances that feeling of community for sure. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. And there we had two volunteers um, who um, were in charge of different different disciplines um, and uh, taking part in uh, the organ and part and parcel of the organization committee um, for the, the ladies section at the annual gathering in the United Kingdom. And you know, normally uh, these uh, these events um, take 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 place over a three day uh, three day period. Um, uh, the Promised Messiah declared that going forward, the annual gatherings will always take place in December. Three days of every year should be fixed for a gathering in which all my devoted followers should, God willing, be present with the condition of health, time, and absence of strong impediments. Now people might be thinking, well, hold on, it's August. Yeah. But in 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 uh, in Pakistan, um, it was always December, mm-hmm. uh, and in India and Kardian, where um, you know where the the, the foundations um, of uh, uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community were established, yep. it's still on the same three days yes. as uh, declared uh, and and uh, stated by the Promised Messiah on whom be peace, um, and uh, and since you know over a hundred years later, as I said, um, the, the the these traditions and, and these instructions have been followed, but things kind of started to change, didn't they, Fahim, over, uh, since the pandemic? Well, Definitely. When the pandemic hit, kind of um, everything went haywire, didn't it? Yeah, I think, um, as with everything in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that things changed a lot. And, um, yeah, a lot of uh, precautions has been, uh, have been put in place, uh, making sure that the, there's safety for everybody involved. Um, you know, we've, uh, it's, it's really... Um, it's you mentioned it before but it's all done by volunteers but that doesn't mean that they don't have the professionalism or the 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 education to to deliver on this they're managing this and people have done this for years and you know it's um i'm sure you'll agree but like every year it's just got better and better organized it's it's consistently just grown and, and i'm constantly in awe at these people who have literally maybe initially had no experience in a certain field are now experts in a completely different field to what they do in a, in a day-to-day basis and you know it's 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 really impressive to see without a shadow of a doubt and you know what when i mentioned earlier that when you look at other festivals there's a such huge police presence yep. the difference at this gathering is that the police presence is what four five yep. police officers from the local constabulary um 
most of them normally are special constables. Um, but of course, there are uh, members from the Hampshire Police who yes. do come. A lot of them are invited as guests. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, even when the police comes, and it's always the case, as they get surprised as to they, um, of course, there's, there, there's a duty. There's, there is a law to be observed, mm. and and they are responsible. But all and all members of the community um, are fully aware. Um, that in accordance with the teachings of Islam, we have to abide by the laws and the rules and regulations of the country we live in. Yes. And all members who attend, organizers, um, in fact, every member of the community um, follows the instructions um, that are given by the handful of police officers yes. um, where there's, you know, 30 to 40,000 people who are gathered. Um, exactly. And, and that is, is uh, the reason that is important is because the 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 attendees of this convention um are there not to um I- I- they are there it isn't a party this yeah. isn't um a, a normal gathering this isn't just any gathering this is a spiritual gathering as we started off with the the you know the 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 quote from the promised messiah on yeah. whom be peace of the purpose of of this uh, this convention and everyone who comes and attends this convention and and so you, as you so rightly said at the beginning people are attending from all over the world exactly yeah um you know they are coming to benefit and to kind of s- and to kind of allow the environment to be absorbed um and and uh, you know raise their spiritual levels yeah. it's like a recharge of uh, um, of your batteries um, and and um, and of course not just from a from a self-reflection perspective mm. but to build and to develop um, on that brotherhood of what you had uh, kind of created maybe at the previous gathering but to but to develop new ones as well. Yeah, and 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 uh, is 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 that annual thing that you know the consistency of it over three days? Like it's everyone knows that hey, you know, you book it off time, time off work, way in advance because you know that this is going to happen. You know that it's it's about this event and your spirituality. And how often can you say that there's a facilitation of of you getting that spiritual recharge once mm. a year, you know, in addition to to Ramadan, mm. um, like, the, and this global essential uh, gla- gathering where you see people from all walks of life. Like, um, I previously volunteered in uh, in uh, the reception part of um, it, collecting some guests from the airports, mm. and I used to meet so many different individuals. It was amazing. Just um, see, see, I've done that too in in my previous life, mm. <laughs> which is my younger days, yeah. which was years ago. I I did that, and mm. again, this is a quality which you won't find in other conventions, where the again volunteers um, and transportation organised by the by the by the committee yep. who go to airports. And they set up uh, meeting points mm-hmm. where guests come, and then the volunteers pick up their luggage, load the vans, and 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 it is in in accordance with the instructions of the Promised Messiah and whom be peace, mm-hmm. that these are not the guests of United Kingdom; these are guests of the Promised Messiah. Yes, um, and and we have to treat them in accordance with how the Promised Messiah treated his guests. Yeah. 
at the first annual convention all the way back in 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 1891 you said yes you? you know and 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 that is so important that you know you mentioned transport we are going to go on to soon uh, uh, on on to food yes because most conventions where you have to go in and and buy food exactly and don't get me wrong we have stalls as well there are burger stalls there are pizza stalls there are you know other milk other shakes, cuisines kebabs, there are other cuisines that, yeah. there's cold there's you know as you said milkshakes tea stalls coffee there are other kind of places where you can go and buy food but majority of the 40000 people who are gathered here are fed yeah. breakfast lunch and dinner yeah. um at the hospitality of united kingdom who are the, who are playing host to every single guest of the promised messiah who's attending this definitely and you just made me think of of how um it kind of it, it gets set up within a process of a whole month as That's well right, right? it's right. not just hey everyone's going to this hall that's already set up it's it's no, no. marquees it's it's, it's, yes. it's all of the um the tracks down for the cars um making sure that they can safely be um stored away and you know making sure we were just in the previous hour talking about road safety you know making sure that people can walk by um you know wheelchairs there's so many different things that have to go into it and that it's just magnificent to to actually see and you know you you can view it all on uh, sky television as well mm. and you know don't forget there's the whole camera crew there it's uh, uh, it's, it's a free channel um mm. uh, on sky it's called MTA international yes. um it broadcasts um all the events at the convention and i think it is n- I think there are multiple languages. I know yes. at one time there were over 20. I don't know this year. Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on it. But at one time it was I think t- t- 20 languages that uh, um were were um, the, the the proceedings were simultaneously translated into yeah. 20 different languages. Also and done by free. volunteers. It's <laughs> exactly. Also done yeah. by volunteers and it's channel 731 on yes. Sky. Um so you know if you have an interest please we would love for you to um to to tune in and and listen. to to what is being said and i can assure you that um you will find it very different mm. from a lot of other channels um that uh, that might be propagating um different messages uh, for different faiths or even from from an islamic perspective yeah. um you will find and feel the difference and um, when you when you hear the addresses and the speeches and the sermons definitely and and you'll definitely walk away having learned something That's that, it. that is guaranteed without, without, <laughs> a, without a shadow of doubt you know we mentioned um, um people taking long journeys uh, to attend uh, the, this this event and the promised messiah again on whom be peace stated that it is essential for all those who can afford to undertake this journey that they must come to attend this convention which embodies many blessed objectives hmm. they should disregard minor inconveniences in the cause of Allah and his prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him Allah yields rewards to the sincere persons at every step of their way and no labor and hardship undertaken in this way ever goes to waste i reemphasize that you must not rank this convention in the same league as others it's not an ordinary uh, convention um, and it's not just any ordinary human assembly this is a phenomenon that is basically based purely on divine help for the propagation of Islam and and again when we talk about Islam we are talking about Islam Ahmadiyya mm. um because it it is different mm. um 
um, you know, um, the, the promised Messiah on, on whom be peace um, is the, the, the second coming of Christ as everybody's waiting for. The whole world, you know, be it social media, be it religious, uh, irrespective of what religion you belong mm-hmm. to or faith you belong to, everyone, Muslims, Christians, Jews, um, Hindus, um, um, Buddhists, um, you know, all faiths are waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And the promised Messiah on whom be peace, Hazim al-Zulam of Qadian, um, claimed that he was the Messiah that everybody's waiting for. And he's not the Messiah for the Muslims. He's the Messiah for everyone. everyone. And, you know, one question everybody asks is that if there's going to be a Messiah for everyone, that means there's going to be a number of Messiahs. And how will, how, how, who will decide who's right? And, and the answer is exactly that there's one Messiah for everyone. Yeah. And 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 the promised Messiah in his in his in his uh, in his books has stated so many given so many proofs. He has referred to himself as Krishna as Buddha, mm. uh, and 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 he has referred to himself, you know, in in the, the qualities you found in him were in accordance with the with the writings and the scriptures of all other faiths. If you were to spend some time in doing a bit of research, you will realize, well, the events. Um, that occurred in this man's life um, and the timing um, and the prophecies he made yeah. came true not in ballpark figures <laughs> but precise yeah. his, 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 some of his prophecies with regards to world war in, in respect of Tsar um, and even in respect of if one was to uh, you know, attribute it some of his prophecies um, in accordance to the time that we're living in mm. um, it is you know, he, he has spoken about and he wrote about the times that we're going through at the moment. And the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him himself, said once that, uh, you know, uh, the, the Messiah will come at a time when when the world will be will be lost hmm. and there will people will be attending mosques, but it will be there, there will be no faith in those mosques and and clerics will be the worst of people. And if one looks at the world today, um, you know, um, the, the 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 world is scared of Islam. That is not the Islam that was brought about by the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And the purpose of the promised Messiah, um, on whom be peace, was he called himself the servant of the Holy Prophet. Mm-hmm. It's not a new Islam. It is, in fact, the authentic Islam that he has revived. So it's the revival movement of Islam where we have gone back to the authentic guidance that was given by God Almighty via the Holy Quran. And the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the embodiment of the Holy Quran, yeah. where the Quran is the words of God, and the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, lived those words. Yeah. And the promised Messiah is reviving those teachings and those guidance that was given in the Holy Quran. Yeah. So hence why it is so important that um, we, we follow. And, and, the, and, and the message is what? Love for all, hatred for none. How can you not want to listen to someone who is promoting, forever promoting, around the world, and who all they want to do is talk about peace? All they want to do is build bridges. Whereas everywhere else, if you look around the world, everybody talks about divisions. In fact, they encourage divisions. Mm -hmm. They talk about burning bridges. Whereas the message in accordance with the promised Messiah is all about, and and his fifth successor, of uh, the promised Messiah, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azim Islam Surah, with me Allah strength in his hand. For the past two decades, nearly two decades, all he has spoken about is peace. In pe- mm-hmm. And in fact, peace symposiums were created for, for that purpose. Yeah. 
and and all he talks about is you know um, um unifying everyone under the banner of peace but you know going back to the organization of the of the event you mentioned mm. food yes and we talked about how so many people um get fed so let's go and listen to an interview uh, of uh, Sarish Afzal and Sania Imran Sheikh um, who are the deputy and the head of the catering department which is normally referred to as Ziafat mm-hmm. but it is catering um for the ladies section so let's go and listen to what they have to say in uh, respect of uh, their role at uh, the convention Can you tell us what your department is about and your main responsibilities? Assalamu alaikum. I'm Sarish Afzal and I'm currently the head of food, health and safety. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Sanya Imran Sheikh and I'm her helping hand second. Um so uh our department, food, health and safety, ensures that food is safe for consumption. On arrival, we make sure that all the pots are sealed and untampered with. Every 2 hours we check the temperature of open pots and only serve if they're above 60 degrees Celsius. Alhamdulillah in the past we in the past years we've rarely had to send food back because it's been above the required temperature. Uh it's important for us to ensure that all Ziafat workers who are serving food have access to hairnets, aprons, gloves and we also provide a sanitizing station. Uh, we do our utmost best to provide you with the best experience possible as guests of the promised Messiah salam different people have different food requirements how do you cater for this and ensure people are comfortable um we are very fortunate to have seven departments under ziafat which helps us cater for people's needs for example the elderly and disabled department which has seating available for those who require it then we have mother and child area which has wider aisles to accommodate prams and mothers with young children we also have a perhezi area which caters for those with dietary restrictions then we have the european area for our guests who find eating out traditional food a challenge we also have a workers market for our voluntary lajna working at jolsa which is for those workers who are unable to access other areas due to their duty we also have the main market for general public and the tea stall area uh for those that have come from far away and those who are staying on site breakfast is also available if you are unsure which area you need to go to please do not hesitate to ask the ziafat workers uh similarly if a worker guides you to a certain area please kindly listen to them how do you and your team cater on such a large scale for all three meals of the day Uh, this is a large scale team effort it consents consists of lots of communication with a variety of departments working together so for example we have we have discipline and security helping alongside ziafat and um the health and safety team as well um after so many years of watching and seeing how much food we require for each station each service we've uh, got a better idea of how much we'll need for each session so now we know how much to serve and how to best avoid wastage tell us one thing that you find most challenging and one thing you enjoy the most during your duty um this being the first year after covid we are yet to find out the challenges we will face but we feel that maintaining social distancing while providing everyone with an enjoyable and pleasant experience will be the biggest challenge this year uh something everyone is looking forward to this year is being able to attend in person and being part of this special event jazakallah jazakallah a new station the voice of islam
with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. And there we had uh, the deputy head and the head of uh, the catering team who are responsible for um, feeding um, you know, thousands yeah. of people. Uh, over, over, and and it's not even just three days, yeah. Because guests uh, come, you know, a Volunteers few days before, well. and they stay um, a couple of days until after the the convention is over. But you know, you heard them in, in that interview, um, rules and guidelines that were introduced at the beginning of the pandemic, and and you know, just for the benefit of our listeners, you know, one thing that has been consistent and there was never kind of taken away that. Part and parcel of Islam, they say, fifty percent of faith is mm. is hygiene, yes. and uh, those restrictions, which you know were put on because of the spread of uh, COVID nineteen, those are still um, being adhered used to. and adhered to within all um, gatherings within the Amni Muslim community. In fact, and and they're being uh, and people are being reminded again and again. In fact, the president of and the, the president of the, the, the Amdiya Muslim community in the United Kingdom, yep. even today, sent out circulars, uh, circulars and messages which go out through social media, which go out through presidents of local um, local chapters, yep. where, you know, um, this, this, this practice that it must be adhered to hmm. um, is, is, is uh, uh, everyone is reminded of it on, on, a, on a regular basis. And as I said, today, um, the president, Mr. Rafiq, Mr. Rafiqiyat, the national president of the UK sent out um, another letter yeah. um, to ensure that people followed the basic guidelines that everybody must always wear a mask, do not shake hands, do not hug each other, and maintain social distance. Yeah. Um, you know, because as much as it's a spiritual gathering, part and parcel of that spirituality is to abide by the laws of the country we're living in. Yes. That is, a lot of people might find it strange but that's part and parcel of the spirituality that yeah. we practice, which is to abide by rules, yeah. abide by laws, because uh, that's Islam is not just a religion. It's a way of life. And yeah. part and parcel of that way of life is to to abide by rules and regulations. And it's also it's not just, you know, uh, um, something that is being done uh, by um, administrative organizations. This is yeah. a teaching of God Almighty. This is mentioned in the Holy Quran. Exactly. That you must abide by the rules of the country you're living in. Yeah. We have to show lo loyalty, and loyalty is shown by following rules. Obedience. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, it's, it's, there's going to be chaos, right? If you, yes. if you don't have rules, if you don't have regulations, there will be chaos. And uh, just going back quickly, I, I had a thought about um, the volunteers and, and, you know, for anyone who has no experience of Jalsa Salana and why it might be beneficial to to watch or, or to participate, um, think about this, this thing, right? Uh, most employees in the UK get 20 days holiday, mm. right? Like on average. People are actually taking that assignment from your yearly you know that's that's usually for holidays abroad nicer weather etc they are taking that time to attend this event yes right so there is definitely something special about it so so make sure that you you, you listen in and, and you you benefit from it because it's just a way of truly understanding um yourself i find i find you know you learn more about yourself who you are and you know just they say that um, you become uh, the average of the four 
people that you spend most time with right so this being around others being on this annual basis you see these people and that, that, it's not limited to that but this is a guaranteed right if you attend this event you're guaranteed to see to keep these relations to to um improve that brotherhood uh, or sisterhood and you know i think that it's it's just this facilitation that, that that's really th- thought out that hey i i need to have my spiritual recharge uh, i want to be around like-minded people and i want to hear about the the messages that resonate with me spiritually morally and uh, you know that are going to make me a better person and that is exactly why people take time out of their 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 holidays not just to participate but to actually help organize it so you know you've got 20 days imagine like people are taking 5 to 7 days that's that's nearly what um uh, let's say a quarter of your annual mm-hmm. annual holiday. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, our final um, uh, guest uh, is currently at the event and is staying at uh, the accommodation um, mm. um, with her family. So let's go and listen to um, what she had to say because she is a regular attendee of the convention over the years. So you have been coming to the Jalsa Salana for a long time and you stay at the Jalsa accommodation with your family. We know there are a lot of people staying there too. Can you tell us more about the experience and atmosphere as someone who lives there? Of course. So the um, experience is one of when you get to not only experience Jalsa for the hours that you're there, but actually waking up there, going for Fajr there, which um, we camp, like we put up our own tent. So there's always like someone um, giving the azan in the morning before Fajr. So you get to wake up and you get to go in for that as well. So it's a whole like the three days seems like a much more of a spiritual experience I can say because you're not just there for the time being and you don't come home you're actually there away and you're devoting yourself to Jalsa for three days so yeah it's honestly I prefer it and love living there simply because of that and being with your family like you get to you get to spend time with them as well and you just get to experience Jalsa properly yeah exactly so we also know that Jalsa is jam-packed with various different programs happening can you tell us what your routine at Jalsa is like so we usually wake up for Fajr and go in for Fajr then come back and um, that's when like even the because the sky is obviously getting a bit brighter then you get ready and at that point like the tent is usually really hot when you wake up so just getting ready getting my siblings ready with my mom and then I head to my duty which is at the bazaar usually so I'm there um, preparing for that before the bazaar opens and then I go in and listen to the programs before lunch break because that's when I have to give my duty and then yeah I get to balance between my routine usually is actually going and listening to the programs and coming back for my duty and just shifting between that and then after Maghrib Isha prayer we usually come back to our tents and that happens for three days and then we come back home on Sunday night. Brilliant. So what is the biggest thing you're looking forward to this year at Jalsa and why? I think because of COVID, I've missed, and a lot of people can probably agree with this, I've just missed being in that atmosphere and being able to take in those words that um, some of the speeches that you're hearing, like some of them are genuinely so inspirational and some things resonate with you more than others might. And it's nice. To, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to being able to be there in that environment, pray behind Hazur and then Beth as well, because I've missed that um, the last year when Jalsa didn't happen properly. So, yeah, I guess just being in that environment again and being able to experience Jalsa again, I, I miss all of that. So I'm looking forward to that. 
there we had Kutsi uh, Abati, who is um, at uh, the, the the site, who explained um, her role um, in in uh, the organisation. We are coming up to the hour. Um, just to finish off, uh, just to quote a passage from the fifth caliph of uh, the Promised Messiah, um, Hazrat Mizam Ahmed, the head of the worldwide head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah strengthen his hand, said, "During these days of the convention." And in this special environment, a special spiritual change should emerge within you. A special relationship with God Almighty should grow in you. A voice within you should testify that this convention has drawn me nearer to Allah and I am marching towards righteousness, that all of us are marching forward. Only then can the purpose of your attending this convention be served. I just want to thank Arub, Arub Anwar, Ruhi Yaqub, Nadia Shamas and Previsht Huma for producing today. Please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Thank you to Fahim and all the guests. Until we meet again, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.